0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump, the weekly show in which we have a conversation with someone who has had a spiritual awakening. My name is Rick Archer and my guest tonight is John Spear. And in a minute, John will introduce himself and give us a little biography of uh, his life and interests. But before he does that, I would like to make a, a few brief comments as I sometimes do. I just want to say that this show is... Well, first of all, I want to say that they're practicing hair in the next room, and you might hear uh, Age of Aquarius coming through in the background. But aside from that, this show is totally unscripted. I don't plan out questions ahead of time. I generally don't have any extensive conversation with my guests about what we're going to talk about. It's extemporaneous. We just wing it. And on the other side of it, uh, it is unedited. After the show has been taped, uh, we slap titles on at the beginning and end, and basically air it as it is uh, without any editing and that being the case i often think back to things i have said uh, uh in certain interviews that i you know i wish i had phrased them differently or it's, you know, my, my statements might be misconstrued and last night last week in particular i was making some comments about ramana maharshi and the uh, sargadatta maharaj and uh ramesh balsakar which I stopped myself because what I was saying was coming out sounding derogatory at least to my ear and I just want to say that I had no intention of sounding that way and I have the utmost respect for those teachers what I was actually trying to say is that I found better words for it in the subsequent week because I've been listening to an interview series called The The Great Integral Awakening hosted by a man named Craig Hamilton and his contention and that of some of the people he's studied under is that not only the expression of of Enlightenment evolves as the culture evolves, you know, from 2,000 years ago or whatever to the present, but the actual experience of Enlightenment evolves because we are evolving beings, and our ability to fathom and reflect these spiritual or deeper realities that we've been discussing is actually in a continual state of development. And that's actually what I was trying to say (laughs) when I was making comments about those teachers and uh, didn't mean anything derogatory. So... Having covered my bases on that, I'd like to get to tonight's interview and introduce uh, our guest, John Spear. And I know a little bit about John, but I think I'll just ask him to tell us about whatever he considers relevant and significant about his life, what, what you do, where you're from, you know, your interests, your family, all that kind of stuff. Sure.
1: First of all, I want to say into the camera that this is for my children, for Eve, Matt, Bethany, um, because uh, I feel like uh, I want them to to hear this part of me. I want them to see in detail what uh, what this was. I'll Second,
0: give you a DVD when we're done. You thank you. Yeah,
1: could, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, and the other thing is that I never considered what happened or what has been happening to me in my spiritual evolution to be a spiritual awakening. I mean, that's that's a word that I just haven't ever used. Mm-hmm. But, uh, maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. But I mean, it, but I do know that what has happened to me. From time to time has been I've had some really wonderful Experiences for which I'm very very grateful mm-hmm. uh, because they've helped me to understand my life understand you know, give more uh, What do you call that more? Um, uh, meaning to to things that have happened in my in my life good uh, And the kids know some of this but uh, I've never told it, you know in a interview situation where I could kind of put it together Yeah, I'm sure it, almost most of your interviewees
0: have felt the same way for the most part i mean some people have been very quiet about it Uh, you know there's a mutual friend of ours who more or less came out of the closet here you know uh, about a month ago when i when i interviewed him he'd never really talked about it in public and he decided that now was the time and he wanted to explain what had happened to him excellent yeah and when you asked me to do this i was thinking
1: i wasn't even sure what it meant (laughs) Um, (laughs) but anyway to just tell you something about myself because my kids know me but maybe you don't know this part about my life. I was born in East Cleveland, Ohio, right near where the Kirtland, the Mormon Kirtland Temple is. It's uh, um, in the hospital there, but my father was teaching in a a school in Lakewood, in in Lakewood, uh, Ohio, near Cleveland, uh, the west side of Cleveland. I lived most of my life in, in Ohio, but I just, from the very earliest age, I knew that I wanted to know what my life was about. I wanted to know. I of course wouldn't have called it consciousness back then mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but I wanted to know what life was. What was what did it mean to be alive? And I would think about this to the point of uh, terror. And where what would, age? About nine, Nine. Okay. I mean, before that. But I mean, the, the, the terror attacks started coming about, ni- about nine years old. Huh. And what would happen was, I say terror attacks, they you
0: know, yeah.
1: I'll explain it, what it was. And most of you, if, if you are watching this and have had any experiences like this, you'll probably realize they were much more innocent than what I thought they were as a child. But when I was a child, and my father took us golfing, or took, I, I caddied for my father, who was, went golfing one day with his mm. friends. Well, I walked into the clubhouse, And I started thinking this thought that I thought over and over again, and the thought was just, Am I really here or is, is either am I really here or is this really happening uh-huh. and happening meaning am I alive really? Mm. I, I didn't really think that way or that is my, it all a dream is it, yeah. A, yeah? Well, is it all yeah, is it all a dream is it uh, no? I actually I thought is this really happening? Huh. I mean as I, I thought like like right now I wouldn't do it. I uh-huh. <laughs> Something may happen. I don't know but I would think is this really happening is this really happening? Am I really here I, is, is this happening? And I would do that and then all of a sudden I was looking at the towels and all of a sudden the towels were, I, I, I mean, I wasn't there and it wasn't happening. Huh. And yet it was happening and I knew that it was happening and I thought, I better get back to where it's really happening or I'm gonna, so I just got really, I, I, I just started running and saying, um, I didn't scream or anything, but it's like, like trying to go like, either with my mouth saying, oh God, or God, or just hitting myself, not hitting myself, I wouldn't do that, yeah. but just somehow jarring myself back into a reality. Hmm.
0: I have that experience all the time, by the way, but I like
1: it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what he tells me now is, John, you're just, you know, you should have just, well, my, my, my dear friend, Robert Bailey, um, when I told him this before, before as, as my dear friend, uh-huh. he said, John, next time that happens, you just sit back and go, okay, what are you going to teach me? You know? Yeah. As a nine-year-old child, no, I didn't want any part of this. Right. I thought, this is too weird, too, and I, and so, but it would happen, like, quite often, my parents would take me to the doctor, and he'd say, no, there's nothing wrong with him, he's fine. And so I just had to live with this. And then when I became about 13 or 14 or 15, somewhere around there, um, I went to a Youth for Christ rally in Akron, Ohio. And they said, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, then we invite you to come forward. And I took it as a sort of a thank you thing. So I would say, Thank you to Jesus for typhoid. Okay, I'll come forward. <laughs> so I walked down this, on this huge Akron Civic Auditorium with all these, uh, with all these uh, the born, born-again Christians. And uh, I went down and accepted Christ as my savior. Uh-huh. This is October 12th, 1969, the day I was saved.
0: The day after my birthday. Really, mm-hmm. anyway,
1: so I went down and they took me to a little room and they said, well, now you're a Christian. I said, oh, okay. And I started going to this Baptist church. And I loved it. I loved being a Baptist and I, I loved uh, going to these things and I loved uh, the whole the whole born-again Christian thing Well as I got older I met some Mormons mm-hmm. and I started reading uh, the Book of Mormon And I was I was thinking then I thought well it, it talked about Christ coming to America mm-hmm. And I thought well I can believe this that Christ taught here and he could thought there so I Became a Mormon mm-hmm. when I was about 18 19 and then I uh, to make a long story very short went on a mission married a Mormon raised my children in the Mormon Church, and, uh, and loved every minute of it. I think uh, uh, between Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith, I felt like my spiritual needs and my, sp- my need for spiritual philosophy and, and, and for answers to the questions of why are we here, where are we, going, you know, why are we here, or who are we, why are we here, who am I, why am I here, um, where am I going after this life, that sort of thing. I felt that those were answered very well. And then um, I started doing something called life coaching, and I so I would talk to people about things that they needed in their life, uh, things that, that would help them become better at whatever it was they were doing. I would coach CEOs of companies, vice presidents of companies, things like that. In trying to figure out what these people wanted, I came to the conclusion that what most people want in life, whether they say they want a car or they want to be the president of their company, they want to be promoted, they want a million dollars, whatever it is, I, I, I somehow got them to understand. I'm not sure w- how this evolved, but but I got them to understand that That wasn't what they wanted mm-hmm. what they really wanted was the feeling behind all that mm-hmm. They wanted to feel and I and I, and I came up with something um, That uh, it was I, I drew a circle for them in the middle of the circle was joy mm-hmm. or, or success or whatever you want to call it whatever that thing was that they wanted to get to and I and I figured mm-hmm. out that what most people want in their life was to feel unique To feel to feel destined that there's a Mm. sense of sense of destiny to their life This is the upper part of the circle if you have have a sense of destiny And a sense of competence Mm. in the in the upper part that I'm competent that I can support my family that I'm Destined to do it that I'm uniquely qualified to do it and that gives people the sense of utter exh- exhilaration and so when you see a, a football player that's going to the end of the uh, line and he, and he makes a touchdown he's like this he's just really excited he's just yeah. because he was competent and he was destined to, to do that mm-hmm. okay that gives you that feeling and then I said to these then I taught these, these people that were my clients I said but you also have in the lower part of the circle that sense of love and belonging mm-hmm. and that sense of mm-hmm. worthiness in other words you keep the rules that you've been given mm-hmm. Um, and the sense of love you belong to a wife children you have or just people like you and, and love you and you love them There's that and that gives a sense sort of a sense of peace mm-hmm. So you have this exhilaration and this peace and you put them together and I called that joy mm-hmm. It may be called bliss. I don't know what but that that's I told people That's what they're really after and if you can get part of it by getting a car Which makes you feel competent and makes you feel good about yourself. That's part of it, but you got to have it all mm-hmm. so I started reading people who might might be teaching that one of the people that I read was Stephen R. Covey Mm -hmm. um, and and one of the people that I read was um, Deepak Chopra Mm -hmm. well Deepak Chopra said and I loved Deepak Chopra I still do but he said in his writings all of them My teacher was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and I'd heard of him from the Beatles And, and and so I so I knew him but I thought, well, if this is what, if, if Maharshi Mahesh Yogi is teaching this man these wonderful truths, then I want to know it all. I want to know everything he's teaching. So I kind of said, and I, and I took the upper, upper right, <laughs> up to the upper right, I said these words, I shall go to, that, to the place where they're teaching what this man is teaching. And, and I was at that time trying to get a doctorate in intrapersonal communication, mm-hmm. it, the self-communicating with the self, because I felt that that's really where it was at. That, that intrapersonal. Intrapersonal. Because uh-huh. I have a degree in uh, interpersonal communication, a uh-huh. degree in, 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 uh, in mass communication, uh-huh. and I wanted my third my doctorate to be in, in, uh, in intrapersonal, the self-communicating in- no, with self. Yeah. yeah. I, and so in studying that, and in studying for helping people in my, in my business, my consulting business, I studied this, this man who mm-hmm. led me to Maharishi Mesh Yogi. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I said that, and about six months later, f- somewhere three to six months later, I got a call. From a man who lives in town here named Stephen Wynn mm-hmm. and who was on this show? Yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, so Stephen mm-hmm. called me and said, "Would you please come out where, where some people had recommended you to start a coaching program for our company for mm-hmm. um, it was called Home Business Technologies." So I flew out here, and, and in the limousine on the way from the airport, um, a guy in the back of the limousine, it was like a, a van, mm-hmm. and, and so in the back of the, in the, in the back seat, this guy said." Would you mind if I meditated? And I said, "Knock yourself out." <laughs> no clue what he was talking about. I thought he was going to light candles in the back seat and start doing some, you know, weird stuff. So, 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 so I said, "Okay, whatever." And I just went on talking to the guy. And well, actually, I, I think I was a little more polite than I think we were quiet. Yeah. But but after about twenty minutes, it was over, and I just did. I said, "That was it." <laughs> that, was, that was your meditation. I turned around to him, and he said, "Don't you know where you're going to?" And and I said. Uh, who said that? Uh, I, the guy that was meditating. I he don't said, know who it was. He said that to you? To don't, me. Don't you know where you're don't going? Don't you know where you're going? Because ah, ah, I, I didn't have any clue right, where I was right. going. And he said, well, this is the, the home of transcendental meditation. And I said, well, transcendental meditation, do you mean the Maharshi Mahesh Yogi? And he said, yes. I said, oh, my gosh. That's where I said I wanted to go.
0: <laughs>
1: that's where <laughs> I wanted to go. And here I am going there. Yeah, interesting. So I, yeah, so I went there, and, I, and, I, and the first thing that I did... Just to tell you about how this evolves. The this was what year we were talking. This about? was 1996. Six, okay. So it mm. was in the, like May of 1996, right. around there, uh, maybe April, because I did started working there in May. But at any rate, I went and and I stayed. At, they put me up at the Best Western Motel. Mm-hmm. And there was a lady that was giving a talk, or what I I know now is called a satsang, and her name was Gangaji. Oh, Gangaji. She happened to be there at the time? She happened to be at the, yeah, there at the time. Very interesting. And so I didn't know anything about that. I knew nothing about meditation, knew nothing about anything. Mm -hmm. And so Gangaji was down there, and I went and I sat down in the satsang, and it was Mm -hmm. quite beautiful and quite a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And And I sat down with everyone, and she was mentioning some things about, she was talking about, her opinion of meditators, which was quite lovely, quite nice. Mm-hmm. Then she said, and I don't remember exactly when, but it was almost as if she looked at me and she said, Whatever you're looking for, you're it. Ah. And I didn't consider myself really looking for anything, but I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how you yeah. get it? I got it. And I stood <laughs> up and went out and left. <laughs> right in the middle of the talk? Yeah, I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then fine, I don't need you. I, so, so I nothing against I think she's a very wonderful, special woman. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but but I, I left. And then as, as the week went by, and I as I took the the position with uh, with Stephen and Ed Beckley, I uh, started to hire people to be coaches in this coaching department. Mm-hmm. I would interview them on the phone because most of the coaching was go- going to be done over the phone. To people mm-hmm. who had purchased their business program and wanted to be coached in it to mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear how they were like. Well. There were people from all walks of life, but when I was done with uh, with hiring them, they were all meditators. They, they were all transcendental meditators.
0: H- had they already been, or they got into it. No, they, they were, were they,
1: they had already been meditators right, right. for many years. Okay. So that impressed me a lot. Yeah. And so um, the the first coach that I hired was uh, Christine Clark Johnson. Sure, I know her. Yeah. yeah. And then she so she asked me in the middle of that, or not in the middle of that, but during one of the weeks, the first weeks. She said um, she knew that I was very impressed by that. She said, "Would you like to learn to meditate?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Yes, I would." And so I, I learned to meditate. And her husband, Greg Clark Johnson, taught me to meditate. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to a residence course, and um, a couple months after that, and in that residence course, they were talking about cosmic consciousness. Right. And now I have to explain this because I have to, you have to all forgive me if this, if I did anything wrong, please forgive me. Yeah, you're forgiving my son. <laughs> really, okay. Because I didn't know. I was, I thought... This was supposed to happen to everybody. Uh-huh. I thought, I, I mean, they said, this, and, and I heard, I thought I heard Maharshi Mahesh Yogi in one of these tapes say, when you do this, then, then you will get, if you do this, you will, you will go into this cosmic consciousness. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I thought I heard.
0: He said that in, okay. in so many words. Yeah, yeah, in so many words. That's,
1: yeah. what I, that's what I was getting out of it. Yeah. And so being, at that time, still a very strict Mormon, mm-hmm. I prayed about everything. Yeah. And so, during this... Residence course. Residence course. Oh, no, I take that back. Excuse me. I'm, oh. Like I said, this is not scripted, can you tell? Yeah. Okay, I went to that. At that first residence course, I got... Please forgive me. I messed up the whole thing. I got nothing out of that first Oh, okay. Of that was okay. the first Nothing. Interview. It was a dud. <laughs> it was a dud. No, it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> but Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was talking about something called shake hands, shaking hands with God. Oh, remember, I remember that? that tape. Okay. That was a good tape. And he talks about who God is. Right. Well, being a Mormon, I had a strict view, not a strict view because it's very expanded view. A well formed right? view. A well formed view, yeah, right. of who God was. It goes to this and, 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 and He's this and Jesus is the Son and the Holy right. Ghost is the Holy Ghost. Then, you know, and Heavenly Mother is Heavenly okay. Mother and all that. So, when he was talking about who God is, it kind of went over my head. It went, mm-hmm. like that. Now, after the thing happened to Ed's, Ed's company with the IRS and the FBI coming yeah. in and, yeah, right, and closing it down, I left and then came back and started working for a telegroup, and I also met a wonderful woman named Elaine Bankston. Mm-hmm. And um, I fell in love, and we got married. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, then I went to another... Uh, A residence course, right? Right. Right. I started going to school at MUM. I wanted to finish up my doctorate So I so I went to MUM to get some classes and again, I heard this stuff about This going into going to another level maybe a higher level of consciousness called cosmic consciousness And so um, I learned about it and during this residence course and again I apologize if I if I I did anything wrong here but I uh, but I prayed Uh and said um, before I, during this residence course, before I meditated one of the times, I said, "I want to go into this cosmic consciousness mm-hmm. because I loved it. I loved what it felt like, sounded like. Right. I thought I want this, mm-hmm. and I had every what do you call it? I knew on the deepest level that
0: yeah. I would." are just faithful, innocent. Yeah, um, I, I, right, I didn't know yeah.
1: that, that there was something like a 20-year waiting period for this. <laughs> cut the line. <laughs> right, I, did, I cut in line. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, got, I prayed, and then I started meditating. And during that meditation, I went into sort of, I wouldn't say trance, because that sounds weird, but right. it, wasn't really, it wasn't a trance. It was just maybe a dream, maybe whatever it was. It was very profound to mm-hmm. me, for me. I, I was standing before or inside of a building that looked like a completed version of uh, of what's that round building in Stonehenge. Oh. It looked like sort of a completed, like more of a modern like completed version. Somebody put a version. roof on it. Yeah, then. somebody put it. And it was blue and gold. Huh. And there's this blue and gold light. And in there were three men. And they said to me, I don't know if it's a thought that they said or whether they spoke a lot, I, I can't really recall. Oh. But all I know is that it was communicated to me. And they said these words, we're going to grant you your request. Wow! And it was such a... Deeply profound experience that I I came out and I and literally it was as if I were Walking around and there was someone myself walking behind around behind me as if I were driving the car And I was in the backseat watching myself drive the car, too Yeah, no matter what I did I knew before I was doing it that I was going to do it and yet it was totally spontaneous, right? And I did and I went around and I was just like whoa I just I, I was like whoa hold hold on here and I and so I and then I went to bed that night I said so okay now I'm going to sleep now I'm asleep and now I'm still asleep but I never went to sleep
0: right you're awake
1: yeah that happened it kept happening for about two three weeks then finally I said really guys or who you know <laughs> guys please this is driving me crazy here so it kind of just settled in a little more right so it's just not that present but it's been there since then yeah. And, and again, I didn't think it was anything that special, so I never told anybody. Huh. I, the first person I told uh, uh, was Fred Travis at uh-huh. the university. I didn't tell him until I believe in the dome last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a neurophysiologist. So yeah. Did he hook you up? And no, no. But, but he had said something to me, and I know I get Fred in trouble for if, he, if I if I'm misquoting you, Fred, please forgive me, because I wasn't asking him f- for this to to for him to, you know. Verify. To, convince, to verify because yeah. to me it was just and, and I didn't care whether it was really what it was I didn't care what the label for it is it was just the experience was wonderful and beautiful yeah. and profound he asked oh he asked me this question he said when you go to sleep when you dream are you still awake in right. that? and I said oh yeah he yeah. said now when you're asleep and there are no dreams there's just straight flat sleep are you awake through that I said oh yeah mm-hmm. so that, he said oh and then he said then he told me what that was what, right. he, what he believed that was and I don't believe he. I believe he knows it, because I believe Fred is totally enlightened. In my opinion, I think he's just one of the finest people yeah, I great guy. ever met, uh, along with Stephen Wynn. <laughs> and so, I, mean, I, I credit Stephen Wynn for, for bringing me here. For yeah. I credit everything that in my life in a spiritual of a spiritual nature to Christ, to Joseph Smith, to uh, Deepak Chopra, to Maharishi Yogi, and to and to Steve Wynn. Um, just because Stephen brought me here, yeah. I wouldn't have done it without that. Well, and, we all have our know. inspirations. Yeah. But again, I don't want to talk that way because it sounds like I did something, and I don't believe that I did something. I don't believe that I've achieved anything. It's just, it's just a wonderful experience yeah. that uh, that happened, and and I, and I cherish the experience, and I'm glad that that uh, the university, the powers that be, allowed me to have this experience of a greater, not a greater, but you know. A profound loving experience, mm-hmm. and 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 I'll tell you something. That's what it is. If you've ever been through something like that, it is a feeling of utter, profound, joy and love, mm-hmm. that you can never get rid of, yeah. no matter how. Uh, mm-hmm. But my, we experienced the the death of uh, of, uh, of a son of uh, of our son Jack, who was Matt or Matt and Eve's Matt Eve's and, and Bethany's brother, mm-hmm. and even through that was this. Profound knowledge that number one is okay, and even beyond that even if we didn't be, well I would never not believe that but if I didn't for some reason there would still be that profound sense of joy mm. undergirding mm. everything mm-hmm. Now I feel it all the time even if I get angry even if I if, even if I get a little depressed There's always that depression, but there's that over it although Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever been totally depressed in that sense since that but uh but certainly I have had down, ups, uh, you yeah. still have the ups and downs, you're a human but you being. still have that. Yeah, you still have the human stuff. <laughs> but you're kind of witnessing it. You're kind of saying, oh, I'm feeling depressed today, huh? You're not just wallowing in it like, like mm-hmm. we used to.
0: Let's unpack this a little bit. What year was it when you were on that residence course and you said that prayer and you saw those men and you had that? It was that right
1: after my wife and I were married. So it was the summer that we were, we were married in, in, uh, uh, in uh, May, uh, May 25th of uh, 1998.
0: Okay. So it was about 12 years ago or so? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you had this experience. But wouldn't you agree that, unlike other experiences you may have had at that time, such as going to a great restaurant, or you know breaking your finger, or seeing a really cool movie, or going on a vacation to a really beautiful place, or whatever, there's something different in the entire structure of the experience you're referring to, in that it wasn't just a thing you perceived that is basically gone and and is nothing more than a memory once you're no longer perceiving it, but it was a shift in the whole structure of your perception, the whole nitty-gritty way in which you experienced life.
1: Yes, it changed changed how I looked at everything. It changed how I looked at Christianity, Mm -hmm. it changed how I looked at Christ, Mm -hmm. it changed how I looked at my relationship with Christ, with God, with the Mormon Church,
0: I would venture mm-hmm. to guess that it changed how you looked at walking down the street. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> just the uh, everyday experience is yeah. is being appreciated well, from I a, see what you're a saying. different you're, yeah, perspective. I'm
1: looking at it more of a, more of like, this way, uh, you know, yeah. religiously, how, how it changed my. Uh, certainly such an yeah.
0: experience can change your understanding of, of metaphysical or religious right. concepts. Right. And I would say the reason it does so is that it substantiates them, you know, it... it it provides the juice, you know, that's behind all the... the it, it provides the experience, which probably a lot of the people who originally articulated those concepts and wrote those books were having themselves, which enabled mm. them to give expression to such things. I think
1: the most profound thing that it did... Well, actually, there are two experiences that did that to me. One was this. The other was the death of, of our son.
0: Right. Was he just an infant at the time? Oh, no, he was 23. Oh, he was 23. So you were married 24. twice, and this was your first... Yes, thru- yeah, this, okay. my, this is our, our first... Gotcha. Yeah, right,
1: right when I had this experience with the, with the following myself around, I learned that it is totally me, that I'm totally responsible for my life. Hmm. There's still God, and I still uh, am totally devoted to, to that concept of God and to, and to the concept of God that came out of that. But I feel differently about who God is. And right. what he, I feel, you know, and there's nothing I am going to share here. <laughs> I will if it comes out naturally. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't want to force it yeah. <laughs> because it's a but I felt that I'm going to receive a lot of help, but that it is ultimately me that's doing the helping and that's receiving the help. And that's, uh, and I don't know how to explain it, but, uh, but I still believe that there, there are entities and beings, good loving beings that are, that are helping me through this life. But ultimately I believe that they are me.
0: Yeah. Actually that's sort of, sort of what I was trying to get at a few minutes ago, but I think you articulated it a lot better. And it, it also relates to this thing you said about feeling like you're following yourself around and being awake during sleep and so on and so forth. And you know, a person might hear that the first, and if it's the first time they've heard something like that, they might think, "Well, it sounds like he's getting a kind of schizophrenia or some kind of divided yeah. personality." Or you know, you have these people with multiple personalities and so on. But I think you know what you're referring to is not a, a division of your your relative self into two little pieces. No. It's more like. There's something much bigger than the little piece that we ordinarily, you know, perceive right. ourselves as being, and that something bigger had woken up, yeah. and uh, and it's not so it's not like a little thing is following around another little thing. It's more like there's something in the background that's always there that can't really go anywhere, and it's always been there, right. and that is in a, in the deepest sense what we are, and most people aren't aware of that. But when you wake up to it, there can be this sense of you know wait a minute. My body was sleeping, I was sleeping, I was dreaming, my wife said I was snoring, but I was awake. You know? And so what is that I that was awake? It's that sort of deeper, broader, th- th- more kind of essential nature of the self, which could not possibly sleep. What would happen to the universe if it slept?
1: Right. <laughs> right. And there's no thinking, not ever did I ever think, oh, I am Vishnu, you know, Because, hey, like yeah. you know, yeah. and that's a little too, I mean, that's like ultimately, yes, I suppose that's true with all of us, but I'm ultimately you and you're ultimately me, but we're different. Right. And that's the way I feel about, about the people helping me. They're obviously different people, but in a sense, it's still, I think they're still allowing me. I think that's the whole, that is the whole science of free will. Mm. And the science of determinism and free will which I believe I heard Maharshi, or heard someone talk about Maharshi saying, is there free will, and is there determinism? And I heard that his answer, answer was something yes like, yes, or yeah, so that there's total free will, and there's is, yes, there's total free will, and yes, there's total determinism. And I get that. Yeah, I totally get that. Knowing that there's people that are helping me, and that I've gone through all the stuff in my life, and all these lifetimes, and things that have happened that brought me to this point, it seems like it's totally determined. And yet, I know that it's totally me, that I've totally made this choice Yeah, to, uh, to
0: be where I am now. Do you think that um, the fact that you're more acutely aware of some beings or something helping you than p- other people might be it has to do with your Mormon background which as I understand it Mormons tend to place a fair amount of emphasis on angels and higher beings and so on and so forth do you think that made you more kind of open to that oh definitely that perception
1: no, there's, like I said that's, that's why I said that, I, that uh, this journey has been one of uh, people that I revere as great spiritual teachers masters and prophets mm-hmm. teaching me what the truth is about who we are. Right. And who we are are spiritual beings who are on a path to godhood. Mm-hmm. And by godhood, I don't mean godhood. I mean godhood. I mean just yeah. the, the, on a path to being alive forever in the greatest sense of being alive, which mm-hmm. is you know creating worlds and uh, populating worlds and uh, mm-hmm. being on them again and again and again just in having the joy of, of being with our loved ones forever and ever, for mm-hmm. and ever. Uh, both, and I mean that Vedically, and I mean that Mormonly, or whatever you say. It. Yeah. To me, there is no Mormonism, there is no Vade. There is only what I would consider to be the truth, whatever that is, and wh- whatever is revealed to me as time goes on.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a very commendable attitude, I mean, considering how locked in so many people are to their particular perspective or their particular mm-hmm. tradition or whatever, and, and how t- people tend to boost themselves up or perhaps, you know, uh, bolster their confidence by perceiving their thing as the best and everybody else's thing is inferior and, and so on and so forth. And, I mean, you have a very open-minded attitude. I do and I don't. Yeah. I have to be honest. All right. Because I'm not,
1: I mean, I'm open to the fact that people are evolving at different rates. Yeah. I have to tell you. Were you asking for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just anybody. Anybody that might be. But, but I, can't, I can't lie. Well, I have to tell you another experience. of okay. experience. Yeah, I was asked to come back to MUM mm-hmm. to Marsha University of Management. Ma- Ma- in Maharishi of Iowa. University of Management, Fairfield, Iowa. Right. I was working a little bit with Ed Beckley again, and then somewhat with in coaching again back in Utah the last couple of years, doing quite well. And but I was not happy. And yet we were very happy. Mm-hmm. And Utah is a wonderful place. Though our Elaine's kids were there, or her son was there and with his wife and three beautiful children and it was wonderful being there but I felt this need to come back to Fairfield mm-hmm. so while I was feeling this again upper right thing I want to go back to Fairfield my wife got a call from Vicki Alexander at mm-hmm. the college and she said and I heard her say to my wife because I was listening to the uh, you know the Speakerphone. speaker no it was, it was a message uh-huh. listening oh, message I and I said has John ever considered teaching in the business department here and I just felt this surge of complete joy at yeah. that thought. And so I sent an email to Vicky and I said, I'm listening. Uh-huh. So she just sent it back and said, well, come out and talk. So I decided I'd just got the cities the year before. Cities meaning the TM City The program. TM cities, right. yeah, right. I got those about the year before. This was about 2007 when mm-hmm. I got that message, or 8, I think, 2008. I drove out and interviewed with uh, Kathy Garini at the college. And during the interview, Kathy said, you know, would you like to be dean of men? And mm-hmm. so I thought, this, I called my wife and I, I said, this feels good. Yeah. So I decided to do that. I came out and uh, it turned out that uh, um, I ended up working with Linwood King, who is the current dean of men, and he and I kind of decided that we'd be associate deans of men and work on it together. Co-deans. Co-deans, yeah, co <laughs> So, and that has been utter joy to work uh-huh. with him. Yeah, he's another man guy. of complete spiritual enlightenment. About yeah,
0: him. delightful guy.
1: Anyway, I have no idea where I'm going with this. Where was I going with this?
0: Uh, you're talking about how you got <laughs> back to Fairfield. This is and, what happened,
1: you don't write these things down. Right. <laughs> oh, okay, got back to Fairfield, okay. And it, so, somehow, oh, yeah. it
0: somehow pertains to some experience. Oh, because right, oh, okay. I was saying about very open-minded, you know, my thing's not any better than anybody else's thing. And right. you said, well, I I, I. Yeah, We'll just see where this goes. Yeah, if okay. <laughs> so I can get back on track. Yeah.
1: So um, come back, come back, and, and I started working as uh, the
0: Associate Dean of Men. Right. Yeah, I was saying how I thought it was very commendable that you've been so open-minded because most people get Oh, and I said it wasn't open oh, oh, Yeah, yeah you, you confessed that you maybe weren't as open-minded yeah, okay. as I was giving you credit for. Right, so being there, I and, had an interview with Craig Pearson. and I. Mm-hmm. And I um, Craig is vice... He
1: is the, I call him the, the on-campus president, but right. he's actually the vice executive vice president. Okay, good. And, uh, of mine. and uh, he works, of course, under the direction of, I believe, Bevan. Morris, who's the chairman and president of the, I think the president of the university. Okay. Anyway, I've always really, really respected Craig. So we had this conversation and and we got to know each other. I I told him that I would be willing to do anything that he asked me to do, whether it was, you know, and I, I won't mention what it was, but just certain things I'd be willing to you know, not do anymore or change my attitude about certain things. Not that I had a bad attitude, but right. I'm, I'm not a movement person, so I wasn't really sure what my attitude should be. <laughs> so I said, whatever you want my attitude to be, I'll be. And he said, no, no, we like it just the way it is. It's fine. So I was thinking, well, I have to be really straight with this now. I have to be really, like, on the program now, really on the program. Not, and I was on the program, but I'm here now. I've got to be even more strict than yeah. what I thought.
0: And by on the program, you mean, you know, doing your meditation yeah, 20, uh, regularly yeah, going and so to the on dome like everybody time, does on you know, campus.
1: This experience I had, it relates to that. I was driving my car, and I was listening to the radio, and I just arrived, and I heard this this man on the radio. He was talking about spiritual experiences and how it relates to God and how it relates to religion and nature and how it relates to other things. And I was resonating so much with this man. I was feeling such a love for this person giving this Mm -hmm. that I thought, oh, my gosh. I, I got worried because I thought I was totally giving my surrendering my... Spiritual, whatever. To was this like person. a Christian
0: radio station, or something. I don't know.
1: I, at that point, I didn't know what it was okay. I was listening to, but this was expanded. It was totally expanded, totally loving, totally. I thought, this is what I believe. I believe all this. Okay, uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to go back and resign <laughs> because this man. I'm going to this man. Whoever, if I found out who he was, I'm going to follow this person. Huh. And so I was all set to go back, and uh, and I tell my wife, I'm sorry, honey. We got to leave. We can't, can't work for the university. Um, because I'm following this person. Well then I came to find out, I heard him speak again and someone said, I think Linwood Kingston, said, I said, who's that person? And He said, that is a man named Raja Ram. uh uh-huh. Tony, right. Tony
0: Later. Well, that was his original his name. His original yeah. name, yeah, but
1: yeah. I, I knew it was Raja, Raja something. The whole name is a long one, but, yeah, yeah. but they call him Raja Ram. I said, th- and I thought, that's who I was listening to, that's uh-huh. the man. And I thought, oh, I don't have to leave the college, thank God, because uh, and everything that's happened in my life, mm-hmm. whether it be from the words of Christ, the words of Joseph Smith, certainly the words of Moses, um, the the words of Maharshi, mm-hmm. and now and these words of Rajaram.
0: Incidentally, saying, this Rajaram you're referring to, he's a sort of a spiritual head or leader of the TM movement. And okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so people know what we're talking about.
1: But I totally resonated with that. And what I mean by that, when I say that I'm, I don't resonate with everyone, right. even even people that I totally respect. Mm-hmm. For example. I absolutely revere and adore Amaji, Ama. and uh, and I was invited by some friends to go and see Amaji, mm-hmm. and I did. and It was a wonderful experience. Uh, you know, I went forward and got the hug, and I thought, and I honestly thought, is that all there is? I mean, for me, for for me, I mean, I, right. know, for, I, mean, I didn't think it in any negative or bad way. I just thought, I thought there should be more. Right. And then and, and she kind of felt it too, I think, because she goes back and then she hugs me again. Right, again yeah. And it was just one of those things where we kind of thought, where I kind of thought, well, what a wonderful woman, and I totally respect what she is, but my heart goes to Maharshi, Mm Mahesh Yogi. It just does, and to Rajaram. Um, So that's who it goes to, but but still, at the same time, Mm -hmm. that's why I say I totally get that other people don't have that experience, and that they may not be drawn to them the way I am. Mm -hmm. I resonate with when they talk. I I get choked (laughs) up when I hear their, their teachings. I totally get it, I don't even say believe it, I totally know that what they're talking about is absolute. And I mean it beyond the religious sense too, I just mean it's just truth, that's the way. So kids at school come to me and they say like, well I believe this and I don't want to do that and I don't think I should do the program. I always come back because of what I believe to say, I think you should do the program. Whatever you do afterwards or or whatever you do in your life from now on, that's your evolution, I totally respect where you're coming from. But I also totally believe that Maharshi Mahesh Yogi created something that helps lead people into these experiences Mm -hmm. that we're talking about.
0: I believe that with all my heart. Mm -hmm. You use the word believe a lot and... uh, Yeah, that's a Mormon background. Yeah, Well, that's what I was going to say. You know I mean? (laughs) You have a very religious background from... from, from, Sorry about that. No, that's all right. From Baptist (laughs) to church to Mormon church (laughs) and and this (laughs) and that. I believe all kinds of things myself. But I think maybe you and I would agree that when one's experience of these spiritual truths or realities or whatever we want to call it, one, essentially when one's experience of the self is clear enough, then there's not this sort of uh, dependency on belief or right. clinging to belief or rigidity of belief. Yeah. You, you can kind of be soft about it. Yeah. You know? I mean, some people, you know, they, they use belief like a sledgehammer. Right. And I get the sense that people who do that are actually trying to compensate for their own doubt, their own insecurity, by f- foisting their belief on other people with a, with a sort of a, an aggressive style. Yeah. I'll go out on a limb here, and I'll go off
1: of the belief, and I'll, and I'll, get, I'll you know I'll step into dangerous waters here to talk uh-huh. about. I believe that what the great teachers of this world, including Marshi, Maharshi, um, the other I don't know the others I haven't studied the others. That's all the only ones I've really studied. A whole bunch whole bunch but i believe let's say maharshi that what maharshi's goal was and is is to get us to the point where we are our own gurus Mm -hmm. that's what i sense from that and so so when i say I, 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 i i know i i believe that Maharshi's knowledge is supreme and i do i also believe that his teaching the supreme teaching of maharshi is that we somehow, not, not grow away, but grow away from Maharshi the same way we grow away from our parents. Yeah. We step away, we still love them, we still revere them, we still follow their teachings, but this is my enlightenment. This is
0: me. Yeah, yeah if you're 35 years old and you're still living in your, in your you know, boyhood bedroom, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so whatever I'm experiencing, I take
1: full responsibility for it, whether it's right or wrong or whatever I do. At the same time, what I try to teach the kids at the school is that in order to get to that point, and my teaching, them, I don't mean I don't teach them anything, but if it comes up, because I'm, I'm not a teacher of TM, I'm not a governor, but if it comes up in private conversations that we're having, mm-hmm. what I try to get across to them, at least to them, my experience has been, if it were not for Maharshi leading me with these techniques and with these things, with these techniques and with these programs, I wouldn't have had the freedom to then experience the profound loving and joyful experiences that, that I had. yeah. And I'm sure that's probably true with them, with the people that taught them before they came to this knowledge. Mm-hmm. I would think. Well,
0: and also when you think about, I mean, any great spiritual teacher, famous or otherwise in this world, was at one point a student. And, right. you know, and somehow or other, at a certain stage, he underwent or he or she underwent a transition from being a kind of a f- someone who was chasing after knowledge and, you know... Following a teacher and so on and so forth to having a certain authority, you know, a certain mm-hmm. confidence and uh, ability to teach others and becoming a, a teacher in his own right or her own right, and uh, you know, so if if that's happened to all these people who are kind of who have made a name for themselves whom we revere, why should it not also happen to us at a certain point? And it doesn't mean that we uh, reject those. Sources of inf- inspiration. In fact, we may appreciate them more than ever. But it just means that there's perhaps not the same kind of dependent relationship that there once was. There, right. You know, there's more of a sense of self-sufficiency, of self-confidence. Of I will say this. I said I wasn't going to say who God is to me, but I just just
1: to say in a light sense. Uh-huh. I know who God is for me. I mean, for me. Right. Like the person that is assigned to me, so to speak
0: sort of an individual yeah, f- of, um, facet of God that's, yeah, that's on the a, John Spear project? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> it's a, and I think that and, and the sense that I get is that we have known each other for huh. eternity and that we have played that part for each other back and forth. Mm.
0: So it's like you have a personal God, you're saying, or a personal yeah. kind and of... Yeah, and he's the God that I call the Father.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I call him Christ, I I mm-hmm. call him, well, I call him something. I'm, I won't reveal that. But, mm-hmm. uh, and it's someone who has been, just to give you an example, Matthew, uh, you know, our youngest son, mm-hmm. um, was in the backseat of the car. We're in Utah. We'd just come home from church, and we, I was making a turn on this freeway, mm-hmm. and coming down the road is this huge truck, mm-hmm. this huge semi truck, and I was just not paying attention, and I turned right in front of it, and it was right bearing down. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. we were going to be killed, or at least Matt was going to be killed, because I, I would have turned and right. would have hit the car right where he was sitting. So, I didn't pray, and I didn't have time to pray, right. believe me. It was like, I just, like, whoa, I could just, I just knew that this was going to not come out good. Well, at that moment, I felt a hand on my foot, squeeze my foot, and slam it through the... Accelerator, Accelerator, just slam it through the floorboard, mm. and the car jumped, huh. and it missed it by just an inch. Wow. And it was just shaking, and we were, of course, all shaken up. But that was... To me, physical, that was a physical manifestation of something, anyway. Hmm. And, but things like that, I'm sure they're happening before that, but... Uh, and I just Maybe that's what's
0: the problem with all these Toyotas. One of these, this, this guy has kind of like gone off the program and he's going around slamming <laughs> right. down. That's it. right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe. But I
1: mean, that's, that's, been, that's been my experience with it. That is, that is a very practical God. It's not something up there. It's like some of this there all the time. Yeah. But as I've meditated more, done the city's program, and, mm-hmm. and done, as I've done that, I've gotten this feeling that... Uh, not a feeling, I'm more like a, a ritam, that, mm-hmm. that this is, this for me, only for me, speaking only for me, that this person deeply cares, yeah. and like I said, it's something that, it's almost like he's, it's, and I don't want to say this, because I, I, I don't want to get it inaccurate, at the same time, I want to be accurate about the feeling, mm-hmm. it's almost as if he, because of his relationship with me, he must be there to help me.
0: Hmm. Well, this kind of sounds I, like the guardian angel think. Or idea, idea, something like know, that, yeah. that. And and I've read a lot of books about that sort of thing also, and you know I guess the the idea is that we do have somebody looking out for us, and, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and that we also have served that role and will serve that role when we're on on the other side, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was feeling. That I had this. That I must have had
1: this. That maybe I did the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, that yeah, could
0: even be some kind of you're some soulmate of yours. There's something that you have a close relationship with. Why? But that, that to me wouldn't mean God, because I mean there's six billion people on the planet and everybody must have somebody I like, agree. you know. I agree, but to me it's all. But maybe a representative. But it's all part of it.
1: Yeah. Because I, I gave this, um, I shared one experience, Like lot of people share their experience of the dome. One time when I came, first came back, I shared this experience, actually it's before I joined um, the, the universities, when I was just getting the cities and, and going through the dome for a while. And I had this uh, v- kind of really profound experience where um, in the dome while flying, where
0: we better unpack some of that. Yeah. I mean, okay, first yeah. of all, oh, yeah. unpack- cities. Okay. cities. There's Sorry. this PM City program, which we mentioned briefly. It's an advanced program which people who've do- done transcendental meditation for well can learn. The dome refers to there's the two large. Golden domes or you know geodesic structures on the campus of Marshi University of Management, where everybody comes together and does this meditation and and TM City program together twice a day. And flying means that there's a component of the TM City program, which is which they call yogic flying, which was dis- discussed by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras, which ultimately is said to result in the ability to to actually levitate. But at the stage that everyone seems to have been experiencing it for the last 30 years uh, is might involve hopping or just sort of a short little jumps across the, the floor during during practice. But I just wanted to define those terms because all kinds of people will be watching this and if we just throw out terms they won't know what you're talking about. Well now I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: so while doing that that uh, flying word I call uh, taking off and landing. Taking right. off and landing. Yeah. While I was doing that um, I had this it was actually during the, one of the rest periods, but I had this profound, beautiful experience. And it was just uh, for me. And it was that I was at, somehow at the beginning of the universe when there was nothing. Mm. And somehow I was there and I was that. I was, you know, I mean, I wasn't, but I mean, I was. I mean, it, but it was just like, it was at that moment. But I was at the moment of what do you call the Big Bang, I guess. Mm and where everything exploded into existence. The feeling I got from that uh, before that was that I'm alone and I want to share with someone, or I I want Mm. to love. That Mm. feeling of wanting to love. And and, and all of a sudden, with that yearning for for having someone to love, the universe Hmm. was given birth to, in my my experience. It was as if it had exploded into existence where... Hmm and where that being that I was was exploded into existence. At that mm-hmm. moment, before that, I didn't exist. Uh, but I did, but I didn't. Right. But I exploded and it was, a, it was an explosion of complete, utter love.
0: Hmm. I am one, may I become many.
1: And it was like I was everything that was creating in the universe, I was the planets, I was the stars, I was whatever it was. I mean, I, I can't even put words to it, but that's, yeah. it just, and it went to the furthest ends of the universe. And the and the feeling that I got was that I was all of this, and yet, I came out of that as the entity, the being, the personality that I am now, mm. and yet I was
0: everything else. Interesting. Uh, this guy that I was that said I was listening to lately, Craig Hamilton, um, the in great Integral Awakening, mm-hmm. person, is writing a book, and I, I heard him give an interesting talk called "The Future of God," and one of the points he makes is that. We are basically the eyes and ears of the Big Bang, and the heart of the Big Bang. It's like this primordial intelligence, which, as you beautifully described just now, you know, manifested itself into this universe as as its expression, sense organs, which you are one, and I am one, and all of us are, uh, through which it is experiencing the creation that it has created. You know. Right. And, um, like and, an we, and we are Peter. that yeah, intelligence, yeah, right, essentially. I, yeah. We might experience ourselves and think of ourselves as just being this, this fragment, mm-hmm. you know, this isolated individual among billions. But we are more essentially, which you've touched upon a number of times tonight. We are that sort of. I keep holding my hands back like this to imply, you know, fundamental, primordial. Right, right. Uh, we are that uh, primordial intelligence, which is giving rise to all this diversity. And I, no. th- I think the experience you just mentioned. Touches upon that,
1: yeah, and and to me and for me, that is what I would call the Christ phenomenon. Mm -hmm. People may call it something. Why would you call it that? Because I believe that the ultimate definite Christ. There's the Christ story of of a father and a loving mother who who are both in a sense God. Um, the Catholic version of Mary puts her as a very, uh, the, the Virgin Mary puts her as a, as a very unique and goddess almost. Right. And I and I I kind of believe that, and and then there is his father, and then and then Christ comes as a result of that beautiful union. But but that's the story. That's the point value story. Mm-hmm. To me, the cosmic story of that is that the father, so to speak, the great potential. Because men, to me, were about potential. Mm-hmm. And women are about helping men gain that potential, helping them, helping their families gain that, whatever. Right. There's that nurturing element. There's that reception thing. So to me, how the universe was created was that there was that great potential that I would call, in a spiritual sense, the Father. Mm-hmm. And the moment that he said in himself, I want love, I want, I want to love someone, then at that moment, Mother Divine appeared, in a sense, and they came together in that deep sacred love of where a man says, I want this. The woman says, I will give it to you. And, and then with that came an explosion of bliss and love out of that. And out of that came the creation of the universe. And that universe to me is Christ.
0: Hmm.
1: And that the reason that we say Jesus Christ, well, because to me, he is the a physical and one of the best physical embodiments of the universe. In one, in a physical body? I mean, he who who lived two thousand yes. years ago is that. Yes, but he's not the only one. But, right. but but whoever that was, that was Christ. He is also other avatars, other who who were that universe. Mm-hmm. I believe that the the first one was Vishnu. Mm-hmm. That Vishnu is that that embodiment of the universe, uh, of that great love that became the universe. And I believe that the reason that the Christ story is so important, wh- whatever we call it, we call it the Christ story or some other story. But the reason Christianity to me is profound is because it teaches me that there is a man that lives as the embodiment of the universe. And I want to live that way. I want to do that. Um, I do not believe that I'll go to hell if I don't believe in Christ. <laughs> I don't believe and you know, I don't believe that, I don't believe that part of the, of the Christian story mm-hmm. now. Right. After these experiences, I believe that the Holy Spirit is my spirit. Is, is the, the higher me, is the me that I was exploded into this universe to be, mm-hmm. the, the personality that the universe made of me, and that I am that part of Christ that is John, and you're the part of Christ that is, that is um, Rick. Rick. Right, right. I just want to call him Dan for some reason.
0: Yeah. Other people have wanted to call me Dan, too. I know. You? Isn't I should funny? My name? you should change your name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is my experience, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I don't believe that Christ is one of these egotists that says you must believe only in me. I don't believe that.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, if yeah. that were true, then, using belief then most Sorry. of the universe is screwed because, I mean, he, <laughs> he just happened to live 2,000 years ago on one little tiny planet. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> God must love to send people to hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one thought that's been kicking around my head for the last few minutes that you might like to touch upon is uh, God is said to be omniscient, right? Omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, yeah. all that stuff. And that intuitive really rings true to me. I mean, if, if there is a God, if he's anything less than those attributes, he wouldn't be able to create the creation as, as we know it. But when you think about what those words mean, it means he permeates your tie, he permeates your body, he permeates the wall, everything. There's no place or, where he cannot it, be found. Or it permeates. Or it permeates. Yeah. I once heard Marshy say, it, the first, first time I ever saw him when I was on a course with him in 1970, he gave this talk in which he said, you know, God is all-powerful, is omnipotent, but there's one thing He can't do. He can't take Himself out of your heart. That Isn't? is
1: an incredibly beautiful statement. Yeah. I, that makes me a little choke up. That uh-huh. that, that is... Really, and it and and it again. It resonates with yeah. it resonates with me. That is absolutely the truth. Because mm. <laughs> my experience with all this is that we are the only physical
0: evidence of God. What do you mean by that?
1: Or I should say, the only personal evidence of God. What do you mean by that? Well, that. That we are all a part of God. Uh-huh. That, that 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 experience that I had of being exploded into right. into existence. That, that was God explo- That was that, that was God as 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 a Christian would call it Christ, but other religions would call it something else. But eternal love, whatever it is, that every one of us is that personal representation of God. Mm-hmm. Why so do that, you use
0: the word only in there? What what did I say? You said mm-hmm. we're the only representative of God, or because there is no one else. There's only us. Uh-huh. There's only
1: the beings that were created in that thing, whether they're, yeah. whether they're higher beings of what we call gods, or whether they're us, whether they're animals, whether they're, whatever the life is. So, life itself so is God. So all everything is. Consciousness is God. Yeah. yeah. The expression of consciousness in everyone is the expression of God. So, so if I... As a friend of mine
0: likes to say, we're sense organs of the infinite. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so if I say, I love you, mm-hmm. God is saying, I love you. Right. No one's going to tell you... God is him. saying, I love
0: God. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, God will say it, but it will be to me. It will be like when I say the angels. Where mm-hmm. I don't believe there's anything other than that. That's what I meant when right. I said it was God. It's the angels. It's you. Yeah, y- you are. When you're nice, when you help me, it's an angel helping me. Mm-hmm. When that guy out there that's helping us helps us, it's God helping us.
0: Well, like Christ said, you know, whatsoever you do unto the least of these, you do. Me. Exactly, uh, I think I that's what he meant.
1: Yeah. And I think Christ, when I say Christ is God, I mean Christ is, certainly in the Mormon church, Christ is our God. Right. But my expanded belief on that is that Christ meant for us to all be the same thing to each other too, mm-hmm. to be that to each other, to be that Savior, to be that loving being to each other and to ourselves. Mm. And, that, and that's what I mean when I say the only emotional expression or physical and personal representation of God in this universe is all of us. Mm-hmm. There is no one else. I mean, there is, but you may think, well, that's God. Well, no, it's another, it's another avatar. It's another person. It's a, you
0: know, it's, that's it's who we all are. Marshy had a concept that he often used, which I think takes a lot of the confusion out of this, which is, there's a couple thoughts I have here, is that knowledge is different in different states of consciousness. And that, that sorts things out so nicely, because there, you have people running around saying, you know, there is no creation, there is no personal self, and then you have the other people on the other hand saying you know there is there is no absolute there's you know it's all relative and so on and so forth and, and it's all know, true and yeah it's all true <laughs> it's and all there's true. so many different things people yeah. say and from the from each of those individual perspectives if if you just totally lock into that everything else seems to contradict but if you have this perspective of you know, knowledge is different in different states of consciousness. And there's, there's, a, there's a whole theory called spiral dynamics, which is very helpful with this, too, which, which is that there are these different memes or just strata of evolution that are represented by different individuals and different, cult- like yeah, of different cultures. And mm-hmm. uh, that each is valid and appropriate in its own right. And that people naturally progress from one to the other, generally not by skipping three stages, but by moving stage to stage. And 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 as I say that, I mean there are people who rail against this progressive notion that there are stages and you have to progress and that evolution is a is a continuing unfoldment. They say you know all you have to do is you know, realize that this what you see now is the reality and it's always that way and there's no progression. That too is true, right. but so is the progression thing. And what I love
1: about about my experiences and, and what I've been taught is that. You can be in complete and utter joy at any step along the way. Yeah. You don't have to wait to get up to here to feel that. No, you I You can like feel that. it here. Yeah. You can be, and, and, and to me, it is always about the journey. It will always mm-hmm. be the journey because the journey will never be over. No. Never. I have to tell you one experience that I had with a uh, with Mormon bishop whom I truly revered. We were doing business together in, in Utah. This is many years ago before I even heard about Maharshi. And we were sitting there, and something happened in the business. It was not a very nice thing that happened. It was quite negative, and we were feeling pretty down. We were sitting around a table just like this, and he said to the two of us that were sitting there, "You know, someday we will be looking down on this and laughing at it. In fact, we probably are <laughs> and i thought and and that was another kind of awakening thing like like whoa and i and I you know and and, and it wasn't until I learned. Some of the stuff I learned from Maharshi that I understood really what that meant Mm. and what and what it meant by By that this journey that that we take and that we're that we're taking that at any moment We can any moment and at all moments. We can feel utter bliss and this is why I believe that The most important thing that Maharshi has taught other than the the techniques and everything of course But I mean as far as the, the sermons that he's given is that one word that he says all the time Which is enjoy right? No matter where it is, enjoy. And he doesn't say, well, enjoy after you meditate, enjoy before this, make sure you do this before you can enjoy it. No, it's enjoy, the mm-hmm. whole thing.
0: He used know. to say that the, the goal is all along the path. You know, The, the goal,
1: and okay, let me say that again. The goal is all along yeah. the path. Yes, he I, called I it a royal
0: road to fulfillment for that reason, that, that at every stage of the path, the goal is also found. And so there's not this sort of, Emptiness, waiting for the grand, glorious conclusion to happen someday. There's fulfillment at every stage. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a very great, kind, of, kind of compassionate feature of life. You know, that whatever stage you're at, there can be joy and fulfillment at that stage. And, you know, perhaps if you were to shift back right now to where you were 15 or 20 years ago, it would be an agonizing contrast. But, but 15 or 20 years ago, it was okay then. Because of the, the contentment structured into your experience at that time, and perhaps if you had been able to shift from where you were 15 years ago to where you are now, you know the contrast again would be so extreme that you could hardly handle it. You know, perhaps ecstatic.
1: One thing that I, and I don't mean this in a negative sense at all, because uh, I never judge people's um, where they are spiritually. Or, mm-hmm. I, I just trust that what they tell me is true. But if I were to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I were to say to doubt where they claim to be. Mm-hmm. I would doubt it for this reason. I've never but if I were were to for this reason. If anybody ever says, oh, I had this experience and now I've arrived, mm. I would completely doubt their experience because that is not my experience. My experience is not that I've arrived by any stretch. It's that, oh, this, is, this has given me perspective on where I am. And now I can see, whoa, there's, there's so much more. And I like that thing you gave of the spiral because mm-hmm. that's what it's like. You're like here, you're going, oh, now I'm here, I think. I was down here on my, on my own path, and now I'm here, but I can sense that there's something more, and that when I get up here, I'm going to look down at even what we talked about today and say, I knew nothing, Right. nothing. Yeah. And I can tell that I know that, I know that deep within me, that what we're talking about here, the gods, the other, the higher beings are going, oh, jeez, you guys don't even have a clue.
0: Mm. If you Google spiral dynamics, you'll find a lot about it. it was coined, The term was coined by a guy named Claire Graves, and uh, he's dead now, but... Ken Wilbur and uh, Craig Hamilton, Don Beck, a bunch of people like that are very articulate about it, have written books about it. It's it's just a nice, interesting theory. One, One way I like to think of things sometimes is that we're all reflectors. Reflectors. And that there's no end to the polishing. You know, it's like when they make with a Hubble telescope or something, they polish those mirrors endlessly to get them just totally smooth and the right you know, proportions or the right curvature and so on, so the mirror will work perfectly. You know, they do thousands of hours of this polishing. And in, in our case, the you know, we, we go through a lifetime, lifetimes of continual improvement in our ability to reflect, you know, that which we essentially are. Funnily enough, our essential experience of that which we are uh, is the same now as it, was 10 years ago as it it will be 10 years from now. It's the same thing. It doesn't change. But our ability to reflect it continually clarifies our ability to express it. Uh, continually clarifies. And you know, and something might happen to us. We might have a stroke or something, and then our ability to reflect it won't be so good. But in the bigger picture of things, I don't think that's really a setback. I think, I think that there's an evol- a continual evolution to the soul, if you want to call it that. Our capacity to embody and to reflect and to express and to bring this into the world continues to grow and be enhanced.
1: One thing that I've noticed that since, since these experiences have been happening, is that um, I, I look at people uh, without mood making because you, you could really mood make on this. Uh-huh. So hopefully not a mood making way. Look at deep into people's eyes mm-hmm. and you know, like you know, <laughs> and see who they are. Yeah, yeah. And deeply see they the eyes, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Mm-hmm. So it's that you look at the eyes and you see the love. You see and you see yourself.
0: Ah, I was gonna say that if you didn't. Yeah. yeah, because essentially you and I are the same person. That's what I mean by reflector. You reflect it differently yeah. than I. Right. And like your I kids say, reflect it. My, handsome? You. <laughs> we're yeah. all just kind of like, there's a, a nice line I like from the, remember this band, the Incredible String Band from the 60s? Yes. Maybe you were too straight to remember them. I, but, I was very straight. I was, oh, man, was I straight as a kid. But Cheers. there was a line from one of their songs. I think it was Job's Tears was the song, which is, Light that is one, though the lamps be many.
1: The lights be one. Light, oh, light yeah.
0: that is one, though the lamps be many.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what I what I love about what I learned from Maharshi was that when, when we had these birthday parties, you know, mm-hmm. and I love those birthday parties that they have in the in this, I guess it's called a movement. T M um, movement. Yeah, T M mm-hmm. movement. And one of the things they say is that something about the light I, of the world. Ah. Uh-huh. And they and they don't mean Maharshi is the light of the world. Right. I, I f- at first, I thought, and as a, as a, as a, when I first heard that, I was still really strict in my Mormonism. I thought, oh my gosh, in the light of the world, that's Christ, you know. And uh, but but as I heard it, as I listened to it through the years, that no, he's not saying that at all. He's saying something about the light of the world, but he meant consciousness. Yeah, the light, the light of consciousness, the light of the world, that, which is which is which again was my definition of of that. Christ phenomenon.
0: I should remember that little rap because I, I, I sat through so many of those birthday parties when we were in India on in this Vedic studies course. We've been bussed in from out of town. We've been there all day, and then it's like 11, 12 at night. Everybody's exhausted. We want to have to be bussed all the way back out to where we're staying. <laughs> Margie, it's my birthday. Oh, my. <laughs> so somebody comes up. We have to go through this whole rigmarole and they say this little thing and sing this little song. But uh, one of the things I always liked that he used to say was, said long long life in immortality to our dear already enlightened. John. Oh, and, yeah. and that phrase already enlightened, already enlightened. everybody was yeah. thinking, What does he mean already enlightened? Am I already enlightened? I'm already enlightened. I'm a schmuck. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't understand anything. But I think he really meant that. It wasn't he wasn't just buttering people up there No, I,
1: I really believe that, that there's a Vedantic aspect to to the movement and there's a Vedic aspect. The Vedantic is that you're already enlightened and the the, the Vedic is that it's a process, it's a continuous yeah. process, which I totally believe. Mm-hmm. And I believe that what Maharshi meant when he said it when I heard that, my interpretation of that, my own, is that we are already enlightened. Mm-hmm. But we're not necessarily experiencing that enlightenment Clearly. on the on the on the clearest
0: and most profound right. level we can. And you know, almost everybody who has the kind of awakening that we've been talking about here has this realization. I've already I've always known this. I've yeah. always been oh, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, why exactly. didn't I see it before? It was right in front of my nose. It's like seeing that picture with the
1: dots on it, and you say, Why 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 didn't I see that before? It's a two.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and that's why I think discussions like this are very valuable because they, they kind of uh, enliven the understanding. You know? they, they can kind of point to something which has been there all along, which you just might not have recognized. And this town is full of people who have been meditating 20, 30, 40 years, and some of whom still have the attitude that, oh, I'm, I'm decades away from ever getting this. You know? it's, just, it's not going to happen to me. But I contend that it's actually already happened to a good many of them and if not to all of them, and that there's just some Mm. little fog, some little failure to recognize something that has already dawned in their awareness, Mm. but you're still looking for something which you've already found. And, and, you know, I've I've actually seen people have this moment of awakening where they say, you mean this is it? Oh, this, of course. You know, I've I've known this all along. I was was looking for something else. I didn't realize it was this. And Mm. then once they gain that insight, there's this kind of you know, rush of confidence and, and uh, yeah. st- stability that comes to it.
1: That's why, believe it or not, I feel it's so important that people stay on their programs. Yeah. Because, because when it happens, it'll happen at a different, they won't be expecting it. And, and, and I believe that there shouldn't be any, what, what I learned was what's called mood making. Right. You know, you want it so bad that you start to mood make it. And my experience with it is, and I'm sure yours and everybody's had it, is that like, like Steve was talking about when he talked about his, it was just a, a simple que- question or a simple question he asked himself that put him through that. Yeah. That experience. And, and anything can with, trigger yeah. it. And the same with me, a simple prayer. Like I, I'm going to do, you know, I think I'll do that. Not expecting that would happen, but yet expecting. I didn't expect it would happen. I just didn't expect that it. What do I say the negative of that? I, I had no illusions that it wouldn't happen.
0: Huh. I didn't you were think just that sort of innocent and matter of fact. I, it, it.
1: I just asked Roy if he's going to give it. Fine if he does not that's fine. But I yeah. totally knew it could happen, mm-hmm. and but it just it just happened. And and I noticed that some people will do this. They will they will have an experience. And then they'll spend, they'll go to the dome all the time to regain that experience. Yeah. And it's not going to happen. Yeah. It'll never happen the same way again. Mm, good point. It'll happen some other way. And it'll be happen innocently again. It may happen in the dome, it may happen outside of the dome. It may happen in church, it may happen in, a, in the bedroom, yeah. it may
0: happen in a bar, it <laughs> may happen anywhere. Yeah. What is that? Christ said, you know, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. Seeking creates a certain momentum, which I think eventually and sometimes very shortly gets fulfilled. And this thing about, you know, and this thing about it, it happened and, it, and they, they, they want it to happen again, they want it to come back. I mean, really, ultimately, what we're talking about is not something which comes and goes or could exactly. come and That's go. Exactly. That's why I started to, to understand
1: why... It's why not an experience If you mean. had that experience, it should be still there. Yeah. I, I mean, the essence of it is just joy. The, the experience of the, like, my experiences with whatever, with the, you know, the exploding and the thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will probably never happen again. But that feeling of unity and of oneness... Uh, will never leave.
0: Right. Where can it go?
1: Yeah. All well, I have to do is quiet myself a little bit. And,
0: whoa. Yeah. It's, it's and don't of... you even find that sometimes when you're not quiet, sometimes when you're in the middle of, you, uh, you like to, you perform in plays. Which is when right. you're doing something really dynamic like that, there's that silence. You know, there's that unity or oneness, as you put it. In, in the midst of this thing where I'm memorizing lines and I'm standing up in front of 500 people and I'm doing all this stuff, still there's this kind of like a continuous flow of. Oh, always. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the beauty of, I think, of, of being in, in the performing arts is that, is that, you, have that cos- you have that kind of man-made cosmic consciousness experience where you're witnessing yourself. You know, you know what lines you're going to say, and yeah. yet it feels spontaneous when you say it, yet you know you're going to say it. You yeah. have that witnessing factor of, oh, I need to walk over here. At the same time, you have to have a real relationship with the people on the stage. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're witnessing the whole thing. I think theater should be a very important part of Marshall University huh. because of that very. And you reason. teach theater there, right? Are no. You,
0: no. No. You just perform in things. Just, it, my, my wife
1: uh, directs and uh, choreographs um, teaches for our theater company. I see. Along with the children, the kids uh-huh. um, involved in that. And we try to put on as many things as we can for Marsh University in Spade Theater, but there is no official theater program there at this moment.
0: There used to be the Rodney's. Ronnie did it for Randi. MSAE,
1: yeah, and for the Iowa Theater Company, uh-huh. did a wonderful job, and uh, then Kent Sugg and my wife did it for um, the school. So did of course Sidney Spade. Who
0: yeah. was well, this whole thing about experiences coming and going though, let's let's touch on that and then maybe we'll wrap it up. There was a story about uh, Ramana Maharshi, who uh, was a great saint in South India. It's called Ramana Maharshi. Ramana Maharshi, who, he was okay. called. And I think I've heard of him. Yeah, he he was. Considered by many to be one of the greatest sort well, of saints. Didn't Maharshi and, say
1: something about him?
0: Oh, he, prob- he may have, and he probably whatever it was, he probably said something good. Very positive, yeah. Yeah, um, highly revered. He was a very simple man. He got enlightened at a young age, and he just basically stayed in one place for the rest of his life, in Arunachala Mountain in Tiruvannamalai in South India, and everybody just started coming to him. He's but, the one they always see up at the mountain, and I said, That must be him. That, that, that must be the. Yeah. In any case, there was I forget who it was, whether either Papaji or, or Ramesh Balsakar, uh, who were in, teachers in their own right. Papaji is the one that was. Uh, yeah, Gang he Gange was Gangaji's Gange teacher, teacher, and Andrew one. Cohen's teacher, mm-hmm. and a bunch of others, um, mm-hmm. Nick Ardog, and a bunch of others. He was having these marvelous experiences where he would see Krishna and he would interact with Krishna and he would what? play with Krishna and all this. Huh. And uh, he, he managed to get an appointment with Ramana Maharshi, which was a difficult thing to do because he was now getting who old. Who was this that got this appointment? Uh, it was either Papaji or Meshbalas. Okay, so okay, He managed of the. to get this appointment to see mm-hmm. him. It was a difficult thing to do because the guy was you know, very famous at this point and getting old and not too many people could get close to him and so on and so forth. So the appointment time arrived and yes. he hadn't shown up. All the people around Ram- Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi were sort of buzzing with resentment, like, w- who does this guy think he is? You know, so It's such an insult, he hasn't shown up on time, and it's so hard to get these appointments, and, and so on and so forth. But finally the guy shows up, he said, oh, I'm sorry I was late, but I was playing with Krishna. And Ramana Maharshi said, is he here now? And it kind of like knocked him back on his heels, and, and he had this awakening at that point, because he realized, that the, the essence of spiritual awakening is not some flashy thing that you might have that you're going to have you know, sporadically. It's something now, 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 all the time. Anything else that might happen is icing on the cake. But that perpetual, rock-solid, uh, unperturbable state right. of self-awareness, that's the fort that Marshy used to talk about when he, when he talked about capturing the fort.
1: What was his answer? You know? I,
0: his answer was he woke up. Oh, his, oh, that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the trigger that, that the, sort of... The made, mag, Mahavakya. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
0: So anyway, it goes on.
1: It does. Yeah. It does, it goes on. And like I say, it keeps going like this. Yeah,
0: it keeps, and it's a great adventure. Yeah. So good. This is a good stopping point. Mm. It's getting hot in here. God, it is. By the way, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank with. you for coming in. Yeah. John came in. I called him at noon today or something. I said the two, the people I had scheduled, I had a person and a backup person. The person got sick. The backup person drove to Des Moines. Can you come on short notice? And he said, What is it exactly? Oh, it's television. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, okay. so oh, I have a question for you. I mean, certainly I've had certain experiences, and like I
1: said, I don't claim them to be. I don't claim them to be anything uh-huh. except experiences. What
0: they are, whatever they are, they are. What made you call me? Because I don't remember. Well, ever. well, what made me? I've had you on my list for quite a while mm-hmm. because I, I, you came to this uh, Wednesday night Sot song that we have a couple of years ago, and right. I heard you speak, mm-hmm. and I thought this guy's genuine, and uh, mm-hmm. he's got something going on, and yeah. so I, I put your name down on my list. I've oh, got a whole list of people that I want to oh, interview. Oh, interesting. Good. And, I can't wait to hear them. Yeah. Their talk. The,
1: like I said, the most important person to me in this town is Steve Wynn. Yeah. Well, next to my wife, of course, but I mean, her more from a. a a spiritual and romantic standpoint, but mm-hmm. Steve, because because he brought me here and because yeah. I, he's another person I resonate with. Well, I'll give so you I'm a really
0: DVD of, uh, of his interview. Uh, I'd love to see interview. it. Interview, yeah, I'll yeah, we'll do that. I'd love to see it. Well, thanks, John. You've been watching Buddha at the Gas Pump. In a minute, the titles will roll, and in those titles, you will see some credits of people that have been very instrumental in helping bring this whole thing about. Uh, one thing you'll see, though, is this little URL of batgap.com which is the blog that I created in order to be a sort of a springboard for all this. All the interviews are archived there in audio format at the moment, some of them in video, and there are links to other things related to this, such as the YouTube channel, the Facebook group, the Twitter page, and also some other groups that I find interesting that are similar in nature, like this Great Integral Awakening that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. Urban Guru Cafe, some other sort of spiritual interview shows that you might enjoy. Check that out, batgap.com. Uh, I've been speaking with John Spear, who is Dean of Men at Marshi University of Management. And it's been a real pleasure, you know, since we acknowledge that this is an ever-evolving thing. We'll do it again in a year. Or Wonderful. See what's happening then. Yeah, it's been Thank a pleasure. Thank you for coming in.
1: Thank you.